According to the Pew Research Center, Christianity is representative of 70% of United States citizens. Of that 70%, 3.6% represents Pentecostals. 0.7% represents um, a holiness uh, background, rather that is holiness Baptist, holiness um, Wesleyan, or um, of the sort. Now, but when it comes to apostolic Pentecostal, such a number goes unreported. Within New Jersey, the religion of Buddhism represents 1% of New Jersey residents. Jehovah Witness represents 0.8%. Mormons represent 1%. Orthodox Christianity, which includes Greek and Russian Orthodox, represents 1%. Unitarians represent 1%. Hinduism represents 3%. Muslims represent 3%. Black Protestants, that includes Baptists, Methodists, Pentecostals, represent 6%. Judaism represents 6%. Mainline Protestant, which includes Baptists, Methodists, Presbyterian, Episcopalian, International Christians, represents 12%. Catholicism represents 34%. Totaling a number of 69%, so that's 69% of New Jersey is religiously affiliated. However, the apostolic movement did not make the list of any of this research. But when it comes to evangelism, only Christians share the urgency to evangelize. 94 to 97% of all practicing Christians believe that part of their faith means being a witness for Jesus. Amen. However, when it comes to actually practicing this, roughly 63 to 66% feel they do not know how to do so, nor do they feel that they are equipped to do so. So it is with this background of information that I am going to speak to you. Um, teach on the topic uh, three tools for evangelism amen father in the name of jesus you alone are worthy god only you lord god can raise up a man such as me lord jesus and to place him before the congregation of your people god god i thank you all that which you have done all that which you're going to do tonight lord jesus I thank you, God, for this opportunity to bring forth your word before your people, Lord Jesus. God, I pray you may, you may, God, just send down your angels to minister to us, Lord God. I pray you may increase as I decrease, Lord God. And I ask these things in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
So one of the greatest evangelists in the Bible that we read about is the a guy named someone else, the Apostle Paul. So the Apostle Paul, um, we know that he wrote the majority of the New Testament. And he evangel the Bible says that it details the book of Acts details how he went on uh, three missionary trips. Okay. And he evangelized the entire or most of the uh Asia Minor, which is modern day um Palestine. However, what I I I, I want to kind of park on um I want to park a little bit around let's say Acts twenty one and we get to twenty six before so before we get to our text. And so in chapter 21, we see Paul is in in Jerusalem and he is in the temple. And the Jews, some some Jews see him and they start a riot and they begin to lock him up. So they they, they try to lock him up and a a big commotion, commotion happens. So this is Acts 21. A big commotion happens. And the Bible says they grabbed his leg out of the gate, and hopes to kill him until the Roman commanders come down and they break it up. And then they lock, they lock him up. So then in the next chapter, we see that Paul is then taken to a group of 70 individuals called the Sanhedrin. And he's taken there because the charge against him is... Um, is is a charge of something that happened within a temple. Now, Rome cares nothing about the temple. And so he took them to these 70 individuals with the Bible calls, um, the Sanhedrin, and they are mixed of, of rulers as well as teachers. And the, the, um, the, the, the commander tells them, basically, you try him. This is Paul's first, first trial. Now, Paul divides the crowd because he mentions the topic of the resurrection. And when he mentions this topic of the resurrection, a big debate breaks out. Pharisees and the Sadducees are arguing about the resurrection. So much so that the commanders then had to take Paul away because the Sadducees tried to kill Paul. This time over the resurrection. So then fast forward to the next chapter, while Paul is locked up, word gets to the commanders that these Jewish individuals have made a vow not to eat anything until Paul is dead. It gets back to the commander, and the commander tells the commander bring forth Paul, and and the plot was to have Paul come before um, trial again, and they were going to sack the trial and and kill Paul. And so, the commander finds out from Paul that Paul has a Roman citizenship, and because Paul has a Roman citizenship. Paul has the right to appeal before Caesar because no Roman citizen will ever stand before trial 
in the midst of Jews. So the commander then reaches out to the governor named Felix. He tells him, I have this guy named Paul. He's putting up a lot of mess. And he is a citizen. He takes him before Felix. Felix examines Paul, questions Paul. The Bible says that Paul began to speak about the righteousness and judgments of God. Felix gets scared. The Bible says he, he becomes fearful. And he tells Paul to go away. He sends Paul, he sent Paul away back into prison, but it's minimum prison at this time. It, he, he, he has some freedom. See, now Felix was in hopes of, was hoping that Paul would actually come back and um, bargain with him, knowing that Paul uh, had some, some riches. However, such a thing did not happen. Paul ends up staying there for two years. During this time, a new governor takes, a new, a new governor replaces Felix. This governor by the name of Festus. Now, Festus, once he gets elected, he goes down to Jerusalem. And he goes to Jerusalem because he heard about this guy named Paul. And he speaks with the, with the Jewish elders. And they tell him all about Paul and all the bad things that Paul is doing. And Festus says, okay. He goes back. He goes back. To go speak with, to go summon not just Paul, but the Jews. So now they are in the court, the governor's court. And the Jews are laying claim against Paul. Festus asked Paul, do you want to go down to Jerusalem to stand before me? Paul tells Festus, I belong to Caesar's court. Festus didn't respond. He asked for Caesar. To Caesar he shall go. End of story. Paul gets locked back up again. But around this time, the king comes to visit Festus. This king, his name goes by the name of Agrippa. Now, Agrippa comes to visit Festus as part of a tradition. As the king comes to visit the governor, a newly installed governor. And the governor is so shocked and impressed about this guy named Paul. He says, well, allow me to speak to him. This is not a trial. Paul has already declared he wants to go before Caesar. So the king has no jurisdiction. And it is at this point, he, he brings Paul into the courthouse. Paul stands before him. And it is here when Paul introduces our first tool that we can use for evangelism. And that tool is the personal testimony. Amen. Amen. And we shall look at how Paul breaks down his testimony in the 26th chapter of Acts. Starting at verses 1. And we shall read, and you will want to keep your Bible out during this entire time because it is Bible study and I plan to stay in the Word. Amen. Amen. And we will read from, one to, to, from verse 1 to verse 11, and I will not read, but my beautiful wife, who has volunteered, well, I volunteered her 
to read. Because it's a lot to read. Amen. This is um, Acts chapter 26, starting at verse 1. I'm reading from the NIV. She's reading from the NIV. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews. And especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope and what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our 12 tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider the incredible Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convicted that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Amen. So in uh, in one sentence, preferably very few words, what is Paul doing at this moment? What is he what is he speaking about? His past. His past. So part tool one, part A of the testimony is what I refer to the before conversion. That's before conversion. Amen. In verse four, Paul says the Jews all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing. And according to the strictest of our religion, I lived as a Pharisee. Paul is telling them, I'm just like you. Amen. Paul's appeal to his old lifestyle, making a connection, a reference point to the non-believers. Paul is highlighting the reality of God's sovereignty. You understand what I'm saying? The non-believer needs to be made aware that God's hand knows no border or district. That if God can reach past and touch me, that he can likewise reach past and touch you. Amen? 
in verse 9 through 11, he says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the saints in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from the synagogue to another to have them punished and tried to force them to blaspheme. And my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. You will have to be vulnerable. Paul is unveiling the ugly truths about his past. See, listening to this, the, the, the Romans might not think anything of it. The Jews might not think anything of it. But Paul is basically saying, I've killed my own brothers and sisters. Vulnerability. You have to speak it proudly and not be afraid to tell the unbeliever what it is that the Lord brought you from. Why? Because every time you tell them who you were, you highlight who you are in Christ. Amen. I remember. I don't know if any maybe Brother Scarlett was probably there. Um, I remember a long time when I first got in church, we went to um, this men's conference in Atlanta, Georgia. Never forget it. I tell everybody about this, tell my wife about it. And um, it was an interesting situation, you know. But just to fast forward, we're at this, um, we are we are in this like a, like a it's, it's a service but like kind of like a bible study maybe and there's there was this pastor there who said the craziest thing i've ever heard then and now he said it was a group of men it was a good a good group he's a pastor he's 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 yeah he's a pastor so he said as he was giving um his testimony he said, if I was to ever lose my church, it would be because of a teenage boy. Now, remind you, at this time, I only been in church for about a month. And so he said that and I looked around at all the brothers and in my mind, like, why are we acting like this is OK? But. Well, it shocked some of us, it, it shocked me because I wasn't really saved. It shocked the other brothers that were there that, that, that were actually saved. But we went out to eat afterwards. And there was this guy who, um, at, who, who sat at the table and he talked to us. And he said how when, the, when the, the pastor spoke those words, it spoke to him. Because he too dealt with such a battle and felt that God could never Forgive him. So while the testimony itself might make you feel sad or less than or lower than, just know that the testimony is not just about you 
but it's about him and, con- and connecting people to him by your past. Amen. Also, I have another story because I, because I think that this is this 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 portion is actually really important because myself I'm here today the preacher because of someone's personal testimony. I my cousin won me to the Lord and. Um, while he 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 did a lot of word of mouth evangelism, I, I I told him I would come to church one day, and he came to my house every Sunday for like six months. Um, extremely extremely annoying, <laughs> but I will say that I actually never went to church when he asked me to go to church. It was not until I got to a place in my life where I needed change. Now, here's a guy who was a homosexual cross-dresser, hair long, booty shorts, and all that gone. Looks haircut, looks like a man. And when I got to a place in my life where I realized I needed a change, I said to myself, where did my cousin go to get changed? Because if God can do it for him, surely... He can do it for me. Now, there's another portion to this in that this, this, for some may say, well, I, I don't have these, this kind of testimony or this kind of story. We all have a story. My story is not your story. Your story is not my story. I went through things you didn't go through and vice versa. Or you just didn't go through a lot of these things, period, which is also a story. Either way, we have to be able to use what who we were before as as an instrument to advance God's kingdom. Because if we don't use it for God's kingdom, the enemy will use it for his. Amen. So then we get to part B of tool one, which we will start at Acts 26. This is at verse 12 through 18. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority of the commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It is hard for you to kick against the gods. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant, as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins 
and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Amen. Paul magnifies God's doing. This is what I call the during process. So this is the during your conversion. Amen. What does it look like? So you so you've told me what you were. Well, how did that process happen? See, Paul was not looking for God of the Bible, but the God of the Bible was looking for him. Even with his past, God found a spot for him in his kingdom. The road of Damascus exemplifies the road that all sinners must go down. The during conversion process is just that. It's a process. It's a journey. It's a road by yourself. And during this, this road, as you guys all know, Paul was actually blind. The Lord blinded him. So, so, it, so what happens in this process is that you can't see, but you're just following the voice of God. Amen. And that is what you have to connect and convey to the unbeliever. Because things just don't make sense when you're going through pain. It's this journey is nothing but painful. And so when the, when the, when the sinner gets to this place of things are falling apart and it's not making sense, and you try to do things and, and, and try to make it happen on his or her own and it doesn't happen, that's, they know that that's fine because that is the during conversion process. Amen? The sinner must be encouraged to do something about the conversion. They must be encouraged to take the extra mile. Amen. There's a a and, and I, I, I'll just keep giving it myself tonight. I remember for me, um, like I said I, I I try to get in church and, and, and this happened. Things just kept going wrong. Every single thing kept going wrong. I kept I, I, every time I do something, I would end up with these things on my wrist. Some you guys probably know is handcuffs, but I get in trouble. <laughs> you know, it's the it's the it's the it's the Chanel cuffs is what we call them. Okay, and the only way I was able to connect that was by going to church. Say, so, well, see, when I wasn't going to church. I can make some moves, and I don't get caught. I go to church. First move I make, I get the Chanel's on. And so, I had to leave the church thing alone. I had to leave it alone. I had now. I have to. I had to leave it alone because I realized that going to church get me in trouble. I'm telling the devil. It's the devil. But if only I knew what I was going through. 
Now, we all know God makes it all work for, for us at the end. But if only I knew what I was going through, if someone was able to tell me this, when they witnessed to me, when they taught me a Bible study, I would have stuck it out. Amen. So we have our, our before, during. What do you think? What do you think next? No, you're right. So we'll start at verse 19, going to verse 23. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. First to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem, and in all Judea. And then to the Gentiles, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as the first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. My God. My God. It's not just the call that's important, but it's what you do with the call. Paul is emphasizing that after the call, God himself does the empowering. Thinking about converting to Christianity seems so hard. A lifetime devotion to God and everything that he says in this Bible. However, Paul makes it very clear that God empowers. That God does not give us commandments. That he does not give us the power to follow. Amen? The sinner must know that he or she is not alone. This is the connection point. That you cannot do it by yourself, but God partners with you. And he does it all for you. And here's, here's, here's one of my favorite verse in this chapter. It really connects. A lot of people misses this. Is verse 23. He says that Christ would suffer and ask the first to rise from the dead will proclaim light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So Paul just talked about his conversion, his before, who he was before Christ, how it happened, and then this new person who he is. Then the next verse, he goes right into the resurrection, which is the same process. All over again. So what that tells us is that this is not a process that God himself did not go through. That this newness of life is connected to God's resurrected body. Amen? But get this. In verse 28, this is the sinner's response. And this is not all the time. will be the response. But it's the possibility of the sinner's response. Then Agrippa said to Paul, 
Do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Persuade me to be a Christian. Now, I know some of you have other other versions that said thou almost the thou persuading me in such a short time to be a Christian. So just to just to clear the air, and I don't want to spend too much time on this. So the issue with there's no issue um, with that verse is just translation of the Greek in this text. It's very interesting. Whereas the NIV is choosing a literal translation, word for word, and other translations like the King James are actually translating the actual meaning. And so the meaning is the same. It's that in such a time, a short period of time, you've almost persuaded me to be a Christian. Paul did not take out a Bible verse. All he has done is tell his story. Amen. So until one we have before and after. However, sometimes the testimony is not enough. And there will come a time when there will have to be a biblical defense of your faith. And we go to Acts chapter 18, starting at verse 23, and we're going to go to 28. Yeah, Acts 18. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great favor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to, to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to, when Apollos wanted to, go to Acacia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples, there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For the for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debates, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Amen. Says that when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home. They heard him, a man who did not have the entire truth, a man who they felt like needed to hear the entire gospel, and they did not go to the scripture. A man who only knew the ways of John, who did not know the oneness of God, and they did not go to the scripture. They went to their house. They went to their home. Part of having a biblical defense of your faith, it's not just, well, the Bible says 
X, Y, and Z. How about you tell me that over some coffee, over some tea? We want Bible studies with people. We don't know their address. We don't know their name. We don't know where they work. We don't know what they do for fun. We don't know if they have brothers and sisters or not. This is a clear example that that happens later. Relationship happens first. Fellowship happens first. Amen. What's also important, which connects to the statistics that I read, is that it says that he knew only the ways of John. So this this man was a follower, but his doctrine was a little off. Similar to the world we're in now, where we have 60 plus percent of religious individuals in New Jersey. But apostolics are unaccounted for. Right? So what that tells me is that we have a lot of work to do, not just for the non-believers, but even those who are professing. Amen? Also, how the Bible describes this guy, that he was, he was mighty, the Bible says. The Bible speaks of, 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 of positive things to him, about him. He's, he's a sincere, a sincere guy. The word that's actually used there really means he is a upright guy. He's, he's sincere, he's upright, but he does not know the entire truth of the Godhead. See, there are other Christians who are sincere. Amen. The, the, the difference between this church and the church up the street and the church down the street is very clear. This church has been fortunate enough to have a pastor to preach the entire truth of the word of God and fortunate enough to have a pastor who has received the entire revelation of the word of God. Important. This, this church is fortunate enough to have a ministry staff that has received the full revelation of the word of God. Amen. That still does not mean we need to not, we cannot reach those who has full who does not have the full truth. As Brother Scarlett pointed out, I, 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 I spent a lot of time in college and studying the word. And in my first year in college, it was very, very real because I was the only one in a school of thousands and thousands and thousands of students, Christian students, who believed and the oneness of God. And, and but the Lord taught me a strategy. Cause see, my first semester, see, I, I I I took this the other way. When it said debate, I I was debate debate, okay. And 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 you wasn't gonna win. I I was gonna bust you in your lip. You was not gonna win a debate about the Word of God. However, the Lord taught me something. It's to allow them to get to know me first. And so for the first year and a half, no one knew 
too much about my background. And I say maybe uh, probably the end of the second year, third year. That's when I, now at, 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 at this point, I'm in leadership in the school. I'm, I'm over the outreach team of 2,000 students. I'm doing all this other stuff in, in, um, uh, in, in, in the school. I'm, I'm part of the, the theology club and, 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 and I'm just a student favorite. I mean, you see my, see my face on the internet and, and I'm just all over. So when it got out, one of the, one of the students came to me. He said, I heard you don't believe the Trinity. He said, he said, he said, I, I knew that couldn't be right. So I told him to not gossip. I said, you shouldn't tell him that. Cause I do not believe in the Trinity. About a week later, my professor who taught me Greek emailed me. I said, come to my office. Goes to his office. He said, so the students are saying that you don't believe in the Trinity. said, the students are absolutely correct. And who, who's he, he, he's actually a friend of mine today, and I've just had lunch with him not too long ago, uh, or dinner with him. Um, and for two hours, he and I debated the word of God in his office. Now... He's a lot more kind than the students because he's a professor. So he, I tell if he decides to get disrespectful. And so he said, I want to invite you to the, um, our theology debate. And so I said, I'll think about it. A week later, I see I'm walking to the cafeteria or about two weeks later, there's a, a, a post on one of the walls, and it's advertised, it has my face on there. Now, it's not strange that my face is on a poster at the school, but it's strange that my face is on a poster at the school with a date that I didn't know anything about. And it says, a discussion on the Godhead, featuring Isaiah Hasker. So, I hit him up, and I asked him, what's going on? He said... He said, the Lord told me to invite you. I said, okay. And so, and so we get to, um, so, so, so the, 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 the debate happens and, and it's, it's, um, I am like, it's, it, it's a lot of, a lot of students. Um, it's a lot of students. It's maybe about, as far as individuals who are speaking, there's about um, 10 students that are um, more on the senior level, and there's a professor, or two professors um, speaking. And it's just me and with a bunch of notes, and we, we in, in, in a very polite way, uh, we had a discussion um, on the topic. After, I, after it was over, I thought I did a pretty good job, um, though I was not... Um, looking for anyone to convert. However, there was a guy there who um, reached out to me through Facebook, and he says, "Meet me in the uh, Anvil, which is the cafeteria area." And um, so I go to the, I go to the cafeteria area, and 
He said, hey, I really like what you said. Um, I really thought that, like, I think I've always been maybe a oneness. I just called it a trinity. Um, like, we say the same things, but we, 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 we mean different things. And so he said, I want to know more about it. So for the rest of that semester, he and I met one day a week to, to go over this topic. Kind of find out his father is the superintendent of the African Assemblies of God. This guy is a pastor in New York City of the Assemblies of God. By the end of that semester, it's the summer, it was, it was, the summer happens, he calls me and says that he now attends an apostolic church. By the time we, by the time we graduated, um, Emmanuel uh, becomes ordained in the United Pentecostal Church in New York, in the New York district. And I don't say that to brag. I say that because while we want to be able to give our testimony, some people will be moved by the word of God. Amen. So in John chapter 7 and verse 38, Jesus says to believe on. I didn't give you that scripture. Don't worry about it. It's freebie. Jesus says to believe on me as the scripture says. And so sometimes we do have to point people back to the scripture and what the scripture is saying about God. Amen. As I said earlier, what I realized is that when it comes to the, the, the conversation of Trinity and, 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 and oneness, we just have to do a better job at defining our terms. Because the argument is actually not that hard to win if you can do it in love and if you can just define your terms. Because we say one, they say one, but what do we mean by one? Right. So that is that is that is the, that is the, the 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 real argument. We say one person, they'll say one person. But what do we mean by one person? Right. And so that is that is that's 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 the root of the argument It's really understanding the actual um, terms that we're using. But when testimony and biblical defense fail. I believe we have one tool left. That's the tool number three. That is the power of God. If we go to Matthew 22 at verse 29. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. Amen. Read it one more time, please. Jesus replied, you are in error because you do not know the scriptures or the power of God. You are in error. That word error comes from the Greek word plenao. Say plenao. Nao. Plenao. Which means to lead astray. The word dunamis, the word power comes from the Greek word dunamis, which means supernatural power. And so if you understand those two words, you understand Jesus to say that when you don't have 
knowledge of the scripture or the power of God, all you can do is lead people astray. Amen. Can we just go to Acts chapter 1 at verse 8? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But you will receive that word power. Right. We talked about it. What is supernatural powers? What that word power means to be a witness. Well, what does it mean to be a witness? So we receive something and then we become something. So we know what we're receiving, but what do we become? Who is who want to answer that real quick? A witness. What else? What is what does that mean? An example? Okay. Tell somebody about the Lord. All all right, all right. Like all of you are right. Not all right. <laughs> so the word go ahead. Okay, okay. You stole my notes. Got you. Okay. It's good. That's good. So the word witness comes from the Greek word martus, which we get the word what? What does that sound like? Martyr. So Jesus says that we receive this supernatural power to become a martyr. But what does he mean? Now, surely in this time, he actually did mean a physical martyr because we know that the disciples were physically martyred, except for John, who um, died in the island of Patmos. But not just a physical martyr. Amen. You are called to be a martyr for God's reflection. You die to self. You die to will. You die to not just project your stuff, project your ideas, but to project him, which he has spoken in his word. Amen. And John for uh, and John 14, nine, I believe it is. Um, he says that if anyone has seen me, he has seen the father. The next verse, he says. That the Father lives, living in me, doeth all the works. So what does that mean? That when you do the works that are consistent of God, then they see God. So that's the power that you have. You have the power to die to self and to take on the works, the characteristics of the Father. Amen? And Luke 17, verses 21 to 22, it said that the coming of the kingdom of God 
is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's Luke 17, verse 21 to 22. The coming of God is not something that can be observed, nor will people say, here it is or there it is, because the kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is in your midst. Why is Jesus saying the kingdom of God is in your midst? When earlier, when he speaks of, when he speaks to him about the afterlife, he says there are many mansions. But then he says the kingdom of God is in your midst. So what is Jesus referring to? Who, who, who want to crack at it? Body of Christ? Anybody else? Don't be scared. Come on, we are in good company. Amen? Let me get one more. Brother Tom, go for it. I, I'm going to just go for it. Mm, I shouldn't have called you. Amen. When Jesus was on earth, he was acting the kingdom of God. It says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Now, I mean, so you really, you got to read the Bible really, really slow. This is one thing I learned. It didn't, it does not say when the kingdom come, your will be done. So, so the Greek is the kingdom cometh. It's something that's here and, and, and it's continual. And God's will is continually done. So the kingdom is here. Why? Because sickness does not belong in the kingdom. And so what happens is that when God heals someone, that is heaven on earth. That's the closest one can get to the kingdom when that which exists in the kingdom comes to earth. So Jesus is on this earth and he is acting as the kingdom. But not just that, the same power, the same, this, Jesus says, let them be one with you as, as I am lives within us. So, Jesus exemplifying the kingdom does not stop with him, but has been poured out on the day of Pentecost and continually is poured out now to the believers who receive his spirit. Amen? So, when we heal someone, I mean, the Bible says that we'll be, we'll be praising him all day. So when we praise God and we get together in true worship, apostolic worship, believers who know God's the full revelation, and we worship him in such a setting, that is the kingdom on earth, literally. Amen? Amen. Tool number one. Is 
Tool number two is pull no good. Pull to um, tool number three. Power of God. Questions, comments, concerns, anyone. Ding, 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 ding. Good, we're good. Jordan, you gonna pray us out? We had a deal, man. <laughs> Go ahead, Miss Oscar. You can pray us out.